I'm head of strategy for BA Systems. I work for Dyson and I am senior sustainability engineer. I'm a materials engineer working for the supercar brand McLaren Automotive. I'm principal technologist and founder of Kia Technology Solutions. Engineering is the best. It is so exciting and there are so many different ways you can go. I worked my way up through the ranks. So I got 40 plus years of experience doing that. Still, every day I just think it's mental. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean you can't be it. If you heard those engineers and thought, I could do that, then you're in the right place. Welcome to I Could Do That, a podcast by Silver Fox and the IET. I'm Alec Feldman, and each week I'll be joined by a different engineer who's achieved excellence in their field of choice and find out their story. Joining me today is a civil engineer who's currently the business coordinator at the construction company Taylor Woodrow. It's Eva Hallis. Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. All right, thank you. Um, are you good? Are you excited to talk about engineering? I'm looking forward to it, Alec, yeah. So first things first, the business coordinator at Taylor Woodrow, what does that mean? So business coordinator, I'm part of the business development team. And despite what some people may think, business development's not just sales, it's strategy, it's understanding where the business wants to go in the next couple of years and what kind of projects we can line up ready for the business to dive into that could maybe bring the most varied experience to the business, maybe it could bring the most revenue. We're just kind of looking at what our business needs at the time and then where we can go to find that. So it's your job to make sure all of the builders have work to do. Basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, so is that a commercial job or an engineering job or sort of both? So it definitely helps to have an engineering background because the kind of projects that I'm looking for us to get involved in have to be aligned with the construction and engineering expertise we have in the business. So I need to know what we've built before, how we've built it, what kind of was involved in terms of maybe materials and skills, and then see okay, then can we apply what we've used before to this new project that I might be finding? So quite a good example is because at the moment, um, energy projects are on the rise and the whole country and the whole world is trying to switch to net zero. So there's lots of wind farms, solar farms, hydrogen pipelines, these kind of projects coming up. And typically Taylor Woodrow, along with the rest of the construction companies in the UK, wouldn't have built these because they're all quite new. So I have to kind of understand what engineering and construction skills do we have that means we can now build these hydrogen pipelines that no one's ever built before. So commercial role with engineering knowledge to answer your question and you're a sort of civil engineer by training yeah so I went to uni for four years to do civil engineering got my master's um, I then did a design management role which was design engineering role um, then I was a site engineer so out on site with a hard hat and then I was a geotechnical design engineer so designing forces within the ground so everything from foundations to earthworks and now I'm BD so very varied but civil engineering by background yeah how long have you been doing all that then So I graduated in 2020 and since then I've done a new role every year. (laughs) Wow. I'm surprised at that. You made it sound like you've been doing it for blooming ages. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have definitely got like a very varied experience for someone so early in their career, I think. But that is one of my like 
key tips I think for someone getting into civil engineering is to try to rotate around the industry as much as possible because it's so broad and you know I'm doing a BD role now which is definitely more commercial yet two years ago I was in my oranges hard hat hard boots out there with the steel and the concrete so to do both of those roles within such a short period of time using the same skills is one of the great things about civil engineering. And I think because it's so broad, people coming into it should definitely try and see which niche area kind of suits them before kind of settling. That's what I've done anyway. So obviously I'd recommend that. So do you say your niche is business development? I think so it's early days, but so far I feel like this might be the place I'm going to settle yet. I think it, for me, it perfectly combines kind of the technical and kind of practical engineering knowledge I gained in the first three years, but then also with that sustainability net zero aspect that I'm getting from like all these new projects coming about at the moment and the strategy behind that. And I think sustainability was one of the main reasons I got into civil engineering. So I think this is where I'm going to settle. The sustainability stuff sounds really exciting because we need it. Yeah, exactly. So it gives you more job satisfaction, I think, when you know that you're helping the company and then the country hit its net zero targets. Is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? I think so, yeah. I think it's driving that effort towards net zero, knowing that, you know, it's kind of non-negotiable now. We know we're going to have to do it. So to know that I'm actually behind that mission is pretty exciting. I like that. Okay, so let's go with the the business coordinator role as opposed to sort of civil engineering more broadly. What traits do people need to be good at your job? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the industry because it is a trait that you need for the other jobs I've done as well. I think problem solving and I think practical problem solving because I think in a lot of the jobs that I've done, um, you know, you come across something you need to solve or a task you need to do in the day and something has suddenly changed and you actually need to go at it with your own practical engineering knowledge rather than going with the original plan. So it's kind of thinking quick on your feet and being able to tackle a problem slightly differently to you might have thought it was going to be the first off. Okay, and let's go way back to the beginning. Is this something you've always wanted to do? Have you always known it's, it's engineering? Um, I don't think so. I don't think like from the get-go when I was born, you know, when I was a child, I wanted to do all sorts of different things. Like um wanted to be a weather reporter at one point. <laughs> I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, yeah, so I don't think straight away. My favourite subject at school was geography and I think I was good at maths and physics. So once I had the enjoyment and passion for geography and then the abilities in the maths and physics, it was kind of like drawn to my attention at my school. You know, engineering would be a good path for you. Um, And it just went from there, really. So then A-levels, which ones did you do? So I did maths, physics, geography. Yeah, and then further maths as an AS. And I also did biology as an AS as well. But I know it's different now. They don't do ASs anymore. (laughs) Okay, and then misconceptions about what you do. What don't people quite understand about it? I think like construction as an industry, everyone thinks it's lower class, middle-aged, overweight men on a site in oranges with hard hat. No hate to the the overweight middle-aged men. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, that's, yeah, there are some of those on the site. But then I think with 
construction in general, there's so many different people of genders, races, ages, heights. And I don't think people picture them when they picture construction. So I would think that that's the common misconception and jobs within construction. Like I'm, you know, I'm a good example, having done those four roles all within the construction industry. People don't think that there's anything else other than getting your hard hat on and going out in the mud, which is common misconception because there is a lot that you can do that isn't that. You can be office based in the warm Exactly. I know. Who would have thought it? So <laughs> that's another reason why I do think I love my role now and I'd love to settle because my office has carpets, there's coffee no. and it's <laughs> the bar is low, but sometimes when you're in a site-based role, you don't get that. So I think some people, you know, they're really driven to see the outcomes in person on site and that's great. And I think we need those people out there, but having done it myself, I'm so happy to know that I can be just as good of an engineer in an office environment. And that's, that's great for me. So what were your experiences like when you were on site in your, your high vis and hard hat? Yeah, I think it's such a fast paced environment. I don't think I was expecting that when I started there. I think when you're in a junior role, you are the person that's more of the frontline worker dealing with the guys on the ground, ordering all of the materials and then kind of conveying the messages from the senior engineers who aren't necessarily on site. So you are definitely the runaround and the frontline worker and that fast paced environment can be very, very stressful. And I wasn't expecting that when I first was out there. But saying that, when I go for my professional chartership review, which is the professional sort of um, interview that you have to go through to become a chartered engineer. So I will be going for that at some point and I will base 90% of my application off that one year on site. So yes, it was fast paced. Yes, it was stressful, but the amount I learned was incredible. And the the people on site, did they have one of those radios that's absolutely caked in (laughs) cement, plaster, everything? Yes, they did. Yeah. 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 You see all these typical things. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's a must have. Yeah. So what sort of setbacks have you encountered so far and how have you overcome them? Um, Setbacks. I think when I was on site and I was doing the runaround frontline working that I've just spoken about, I did get to a point where every week I wanted to quit. I was like, this is too much for me. Um, Also, you, you get to a point when you're working and you're not in education anymore. Nobody tells you you're doing a good job. And also, when you're in that frontline position and lots of things are going wrong, you also don't feel like you're doing a good job because you feel like everything that's going wrong is your fault. So I think it was, I wasn't getting any um, like affirmations from the people around me as well as I wasn't you know, confident in my own abilities either. So I just wanted to quit every week basically. And I think that was the low point in my career and definitely it, I'm just happy that I still managed to get to where I am today and I am still in construction because I think it was touch and go at a point. What kept you going? I think what I did actually was I was at this conference where the people from site came and the design engineers came and the client came and we listened to this really inspiring presentation by the design director. So he was like the head of, this was on the HS2 project. So I think most of the listeners will know what that is, but it's basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I live in Manchester. It's a sore subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not coming to you anymore. I oh, know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, HS2 is basically the new high-speed rail that the UK government is funding. And at the moment, it's just going from London to Birmingham. So I was working in Birmingham at the time. I went to this conference and the designer gave this really inspiring presentation and afterwards I went up to him and I said to him I'd really like to work on the design side like I'm doing construction at the moment and in my head I was thinking I hate it I need to get out um and I spoke to this guy who's high up in the on the design side and he was really like happy with how I'd approached him and like the proactive nature and everything so he said yeah we'd like absolutely happy happy to have you so I managed to set up a secondment process and it basically meant I could go on loan to the design side for one year. And because I set this up maybe six months into my time on site, that's what kept me going for the next six months because I was like, do you know what? It's got an end date. I just need to work hard, um, get through this time on site. And like, I can see a light at the end of the tunnel where I'm going to be able to maybe do what I've always wanted to do, which at the time I was like, oh, design. I really want to do design. Um, So that's what kept me going. Turns out design wasn't for me either, but I think that's what, (laughs) I think that's what it is in your early career. I really think like you have to just give it a go and you're not going to know you don't like it till you try it. So are there any parts of the HS2 network that you can say, oh, that was me? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So one good thing that came out of me working on site was Bromford Tunnel East Portal. So Bromford Tunnel is the tunnel that goes from outside of Birmingham into the city centre. And it kind of pops out just before the Curzon Street Station, which will be the big station of HS2 in Birmingham. That tunnel, not the actual tunnel itself, the portal, which is kind of the um, section of the tunnel before you go underground. I built that and I'm very proud of it. So that's good. <laughs> well, you can remember that if HS2 ever materializes yeah. and anybody ever gets to ride on it, <laughs> as you're going through the, the portal to this tunnel to Birmingham, was it Curzon Station? Yeah. That was Eva. That was me, guys. Yeah. And you'll hopefully be going about 100 miles an hour. So you've got to look quick <laughs> when you pass it. <laughs> Blink and you miss it. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned HS2, actually, because I'm a non engineer and I look at the UK and I look at the sort of engineering projects it looks like it needs versus what it actually gets and then you, you go to London you get on the Elizabeth line and you think this is brilliant but why is there not more of this why is it so hard in the UK for stuff to get built from the sort of the outset to the completion I think um, with major infrastructure projects like HS2, there is just so much red tape. Like the consenting, obviously, it's got to be good for the environment. We've got to get the buy-in from all of the communities. If there's any houses in the area, they either need to be bought, the people need to be rehomed. So um, the kind of social, economic and environmental aspects of major projects, even before they go from concept to build, have to be completely sorted out so it takes a while for these projects to get off the ground and I think with infrastructure what you need changes year on year like as a country as a community so one year you'll need something it'll start getting talked about it'll start going in the motions a couple of years later you don't need anymore but it's too it's too far down the line with the conversations that they you know they don't want to turn back so I think the ever-changing needs of society is one of the biggest challenges that infrastructure faces yeah just make your mind up yeah so in terms of the industry what sort of challenges is it facing at the moment apart from the the aforementioned red tape and getting stuff done yeah um i think 
uh, digitalization is the biggest one with the construction industry. So we're kind of notoriously an archaic industry and you know that slightly common misconception but parts of it are not wrong um you know on my site we'd still have everyone in the morning that had the briefing would have to sign their name on a piece of paper and that's them signing in saying they're ready for the day you know that's paper that's them being wasted it's not digitalized um for health and safety reasons as well just to record what briefings people have had and what kind of trainings people have had digitally is a lot better than doing it by paper and then now with things like AI and VR I think if our industry doesn't pick up on those and start using them we will be left behind and you know these delays that you see in construction will just go up and up. What sort of uses do you see for AI in construction? I've got a few thoughts on what I want for AI and VR. I think what Every single site should have multiple cameras all around the site. These can be used for security reasons as well. So they can be CCTV, but good enough quality that you can zoom in. And then we can have a VR headset that engineers can put on and they can do all of their like inspections, checks. Um, you know, if we've ordered some materials, then we can put the VR headset on and be like, oh, yeah, they've arrived. That's good. So I don't need to chase that. Um, I think it would be so time-saving for engineers to, especially in the current climate with people increasingly working remotely, I think it will be hard to encourage the younger generation to be out on site all day, every day, rain or shine. So I think with this VR headset, not only does the job become more attractive, but time saving, you know, we can just put these headset on, check something really, really quickly and health and safety as well, because the more people you have on the site, the more things that can go wrong. Um, You know, you can have an excavator or a crane, people plant interface crashing into people um so with vr that just removes the need for people to be out on site which i think is great for all the reasons i've just said and then ai i think there's quite a lot of like repeat activities we do so one example of these is something called an inspection test plan which basically lists out all the different pieces of the construction that need to be tested on site as it's built and how this test must be done. So it might be a visual inspection or it might be, you know, a load test where you apply a certain load to it and see what happens. So every project is writing a new ITP and the engineer is kind of doing it from their own knowledge and looking back, what have I done before? But with AI, you could kind of have the AI reading into all of the standards and then just writing uh, ITP automatically from that. And then the engineer can check it and see if there's any specific nuances you needed to add. But um, yeah, I think AI could be used in that way. That's really interesting. I don't know, you've got a vision for for what the future looks like. What's your ultimate mission? I've got two life goals. Mm -hmm. One is to leave a legacy. And the second is to have and maintain a healthy, happy family. So that's, yeah, they're they're my missions. One of them's obviously more work-related than the other, but they can kind of both be intertwined because obviously having children is part of leaving my legacy, but also hopefully changing the construction industry for the better is going to be part of my legacy as well and the Bromford Tunnel East Portal and yes definitely Bromford Tunnel East Portal which is already poured and in the ground is part of my legacy so I'm already on my journey to complete that mission you've been listening to I Could Do That a podcast produced by the IET and Silver Fox Silver Fox proudly support engineers around the world with their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements 
The Fox in a Box thermal printer can print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for engineers in the field. For more information, please visit silverfox.co.uk.